Hello, and welcome to Solid Word Bible Church. On behalf of Pastor J. Curtis Costin, we are delighted that you are joining us and trust that you will be blessed as you apply these truths to your life. Good morning, Solid Word uh, friends and family. Uh, as always, I am excited to be sharing the word with you this morning. I'm grateful uh, to Pastor Costin for this opportunity and, uh, and also just um, grateful to God that um, he has blessed us with the technology and the means to do this. Uh, I want to take a few moments to thank my wife, Karen, uh, just for her patience and uh, her understanding as I am shooting this from uh, home. And then uh, my daughters, Hannah and Jayla as well. And then a, a particular uh, shout out to Jayla, who is my uh, one woman uh, production team here uh, at the house. And so she's helped me with the lights. She's helped me with the video and with uh, the, uh, the presentation as well. And so um, I am grateful for these young minds that uh, God has placed around me to help this old man uh, in this endeavor. Endeavor.
want to spend a few moments uh, this morning talking about uh, Jesus in the midst of our loss. And for a uh, 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 a context from a scripture perspective, uh, we're going to be drawing from Luke, the 24th chapter, <clears throat> excuse me, verses 13 through 32. Uh, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Uh, and if you want to follow along with me, please do so. There you will find these words. Uh, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here uh, in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Amen. <clears throat> Let's have a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we just come to you now. Uh, so grateful and thankful for uh, this opportunity to uh, enter into your word. Uh, we ask God that as we go into your word, that you would meet us in the scriptures as Luke describes it, that you would open these scriptures, that our hearts would burn as you instruct us from the truth of your word. I pray, God, that um, as your word goes forth, that our hearts would be changed, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged, that we would be convicted, and ultimately, uh, we would come to a decision point, God, where we must determine whether we are going to continue in the way that we've been going or head in a new direction as a result of what you have shown us in your word. God, as I've asked before, <clears throat> I'm not asking for your help to preach this. I actually need you to preach this, God. Uh, I ask that you would set me down as you stand up in me and then do with your word what only you can do. And that is make sure that it does not return to you void, but that it accomplishes all that you sent it out to accomplish. Uh, and God, and we will be careful, not because it's cliche or because it's what we're supposed to do, 
but it's because it's the right thing to do. We will be careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 <clears throat> um, and so uh, the sermon aim uh, for uh, this morning is really the hope is, is that as we examine this text, uh, the account of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, that we would be able to see how loss can keep us from understanding who Jesus really is and keep us from recognizing that he actually has been with us all along, whether we realize it or not. <clears throat> and as we move through this sermon, I want to uh, really highlight three points. Uh, those three points are, one is that loss can make us return to old places. It can make us return to old things and it can make us return to old habits. Secondly, loss magnifies our misconceptions about who Jesus is. And then thirdly, loss pre uh, presents Christ with an opportunity. Hmm. Now, despite our diverse backgrounds, there is a unifying thread that unites all of humanity. It does not matter your age. It doesn't matter your nationality, your race, or your gender. It doesn't matter whether or not you came from the wrong side of town or if you had a picture-perfect upbringing. Hmm. One thing that we all have in common is that at some point, we will experience loss. At some point along life's journey, we will have firsthand knowledge of the frustration, of the anger, of the sadness, of the hopelessness, and the disappointment that loss can create. Even more so now, given our current circumstances with COVID-19, we are experiencing a sense of loss on several different levels. There's a sense of loss when it comes to our security, when it comes to our freedom, when it comes to jobs, maybe, when it comes to peace of mind, uh, and when it comes to health, and in even some cases, uh, we've experienced a loss of life, of friends, and of loved ones. And while loss is unavoidable, while loss is a common thread, it is experienced by all, that does not lessen the impact. It does not lessen the grip. It doesn't lessen the hold. It, it doesn't lessen the, the sense of dread that, that loss can have on our lives. And if we're not careful, we will fall victim to the traps and the snares and the dead ends that can be created by loss when it comes into our life. My hope and, and indeed my prayer is, is that by examining this text for just a few brief moments this morning, that, that, that we will be able to identify the traps and the snares and the dead ends of loss <clears throat> that can lie in wait for us when we're faced with loss and, and that we would be better prepared to avoid them. Now, in general, when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, this particular text doesn't always get as much focus. We generally focus on the women finding the empty tomb, the angels asking why they're looking for the living amongst the dead, the women then returning to the disciples, declaring that Jesus is alive. And then the disciples going and, and being able to confirm that the tomb is empty. And then when they're all back together again, Jesus appearing to the disciples in the upper room. But this account that we just read in Luke 24 uh, occurs right after some of those disciples have gone to the tomb. But it happens before Jesus actually appears to them in that upper room. 
The text opens up with two disciples. Now, these two disciples are not a part of the 12 disciples that we all know, but they were followers nonetheless. And they are on the road to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem. And it is the same day, the uh, the scripture tells us, as the resurrection. They are talking to each other about everything that has just transpired in Jerusalem. Then out of nowhere, Jesus approaches them. Now, when Jesus shows up, uh, they are his disciples. They're discussing what happened to him. But Luke tells us they don't recognize him or better yet, they can't recognize him. Jesus asks them, what are you discussing? And then one of the disciples, Cleopas, uh, speaks up and he basically says, man, where have you been? How is it that you don't know what has just transpired in Jerusalem? And Cleopas then summarizes, right? And he goes through everything that has transpired in the last three days, up to and including the report from the women about the empty tomb and about the angels. But in verse 21, he interjects a conclusion that he Uh, and presumably the other disciples must have come to as a result of everything that has just happened in Jerusalem. And that is that Jesus must not have been who we thought he was. When Cleopas finishes, Jesus uh, says, man, you guys still don't get it. And then he walks them through the scriptures, describing to them who the Christ is, what the Christ had to go through, And it says that he opened up the scriptures in such a way that he set their hearts on fire. When they finally make it to Emmaus, the disciples urge Jesus to stay with them, to sit down and to eat. And when Jesus sits down, he blesses and breaks the bread and they recognize him. He then vanishes and the disciples return to Jerusalem with this count of, with this account rather, of their encounter with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Now, Uh, These disciples experienced a great loss. Think about it, right? The one that they had been following, the one that they had placed their hope and trust in is now gone. They had devoted themselves to him. They had devoted themselves to his teachings, and now he was gone. They had uh, modeled themselves after him. They desired to talk like him, to walk like him, but now he was gone. They had likely left their way of life, their homes, their family, their friends, just to follow him. And now he was gone. And with Jesus gone, uh, these disciples were now headed to Emmaus. And they were most likely, if you think about it, most likely returning to what they had left behind in Emmaus. Now, it's interesting to note that Emmaus means warm baths. And when I think about warm baths, uh, I I think about comfort. I think about something that is soothing, uh, something maybe that's even healing. And so with Jesus gone, having suffered the loss that they suffered in Jerusalem, these disciples are now heading to Emmaus, heading to a place that's comfortable, heading to a place where they're hoping to maybe heal and to get some soothing. Hmm. And here we see an illustration of what can happen to us when we experience loss as well. When we have to figure out, right, how to manage, how to cope with, how to adjust to the loss of something in our lives, when we're struggling with how to put the pieces back together, we may be tempted to return to old places, to return to old things and to return to old habits. When we suffer a loss, the enemy begins to whisper in our ear, see, 
Look at what following Jesus got you. You stopped going to the strip clubs. You stopped drinking and you stopped smoking. You stopped hanging with your old crew. And for what? You ultimately still lost your wife. You ultimately still lost your husband. You still lost your job. You still lost your health and you still lost your loved one. And what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to convince us that if we want comfort, if we want peace, that we should go back to the places. We should go back to the things. We should go back to the habits that we had before we met Jesus. And because loss can be so senseless and so painful at times, we can sometimes have difficulty in reconciling my lived experience in the loss with what I thought my lived experience with Jesus was going to be. And just like these disciples, we can find ourselves running back to Emmaus, looking for comfort in things that Christ actually freed us from. And this brings me to my first takeaway, and that is that in the midst of our loss, Christ is the only one who can provide perfect comfort and peace as he shepherds us through that loss. Anything or anyone else that we turn to other than Christ is at best temporary, a distraction or solution, and at worst, a physical or mental stronghold. Now, we've talked about how loss can tempt us to return to old habits, old places, and old things, but now let's look at how loss magnifies our misconceptions about who Jesus is. Now, when Jesus engages the disciples, he asks them what they are talking about. And Luke tells us that Cleopas begins to tell Jesus about everything that has just happened back in Jerusalem. And specifically, he tells Jesus about Jesus, right? He, he says, look, Jesus was a prophet. Jesus was mighty in deed and in word. He was in good standing in the sight of God and of all the people, but he ran afoul of the chief priests and the rulers and was crucified. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> the disciples' disposition would make perfect sense uh, if this was all the information that they had. Right. They, they start with the the great qualities of Jesus. He was a prophet. He was mighty in word. And indeed, he was in good standing in the sight of God and of all the people. But he ultimately ran afoul of the chief priests and was crucified. Well, if you stop the story there, it makes perfect sense why these disciples were looking sad, why they were dejected, why they were uh, disillusioned even. Right. <clears throat> If that was all the information that they had. But if we continue reading, we actually find out that these two disciples had heard the report of the women and what the angels had told them. And they even heard the report, remember, of the disciples who went to the tomb and validated that it was empty. So what is it then, right? What is it that, that, that interrupts what should have been a readjustment of their outlook? Again, think about it. They had talked about the positive qualities of Jesus. He was a prophet. He was mighty in word and in deed. He was in good standing with all of the people. And yes, he ran afoul of the chief priests and the rulers and was uh, crucified. But the women said the angel said he was alive. They should have been on an upswing from an emotional standpoint. Hmm. But what is it that, that, that hijacks that swing for them? 
Well, I don't think that it's just a coincidence that we actually see verse 21 contains the detail that it does. Because in verse 21, we find out that <clears throat> the disciples had thought that Jesus was going to redeem Israel. And in our contemporary hearing, we may be saying, well, well, Elder Wright, that, yeah, he did redeem Israel. In fact, Jesus provides redemption for all mankind. But this wasn't the kind of redemption that these disciples had in mind. First, in their minds, the Messiah would bring redemption for only the nation of Israel. And secondly, the redemption that the Messiah would bring would be from the oppression of Gentile nations. In other words, non-Jewish rulers and governments. And because uh, uh, that was the lens through which they were viewing Jesus, their hopes were lost because he had been crucified. And he obviously could not do what they expected him to do. After all, how could a Messiah redeem Israel if that Messiah was dead? And we see that the loss, Jesus' Jesus's crucifixion, it magnifies their misconceptions about him, that he would redeem Israel, and it drives their behavior, them going back to Emmaus. So much so that when given additional information, the women's report from the tomb, what the angel said, and then the disciples report from the tomb, uh, they couldn't receive it. And it couldn't change their perspective on the events that had just taken place. Hmm. In the same way, a large portion of the difficulty that we have with dealing with loss is because we're operating on some misconceptions. We think, some of us at least, that disappointment, discontentment, and disillusionment should never touch us. We think that having Christ as our Savior somehow should buffer us from having to experience loss of any kind. That those kinds of things, right, aren't supposed to happen to good Christians like you and like me. That somehow, if we have enough faith, that somehow if I do enough good, if, if I know enough scripture, then the things that befall all people all over the world will somehow just skip over us. And then, right, when loss inevitably comes knock, knock, knocking at our door, we all fall apart and all of a sudden we've got a problem with Jesus as if he tricked us somehow, as if he sold us a bill of goods. But you got to keep in mind that Jesus himself, he told us in John 16 and 33 that in this world we will have tribulation. In this world, we will have trouble. In this world, we will have loss. Everything is not going to go our way every single time. So what is it, though? What is the hope in that scripture? What, what, what is the light, you may ask, though? Because that seems pretty downcast. That seems pretty much like, look, just fold it up and go home. But if you keep reading, Jesus goes on to say, but don't be afraid. I'm, I'm telling you that in this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to have loss. But don't be afraid because, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And in other words, Jesus is telling us, look, I already know how to navigate the loss that the world is going to bring you. I know how to move you through it. I, I, I'll show you where the green pastures are. I'll lead you beside the still waters. I'll restore your soul, Jesus says. Hmm. And this brings me to my second takeaway, and that is that when dealing with loss, we must resist the urge to define our understanding and expectations of God in terms of what we want. 
instead of according to what he has said. We have to understand that God is not governed by our preferences, but many of us are worshiping a God that we have made in our own image. We've made a God according to our own likes and dislikes. We've, we've made him according to our own preferences, according to our own ideas of what is right and what is wrong. And then some of us, I'm not saying anybody who's watching me right now, but some of us are guilty sometimes of throwing a spiritual temper tantrum. We, we stop going to church. We, we, we stop uh, giving our tithes and our offering. We, we don't read our Bibles. We, we stop praying and, and we stop fellowshipping with other believers all because the God of the universe, the one who created everything and who spoke and out of nothing sprung everything that we see right now, all because the Alpha and the Omega, the, the everlasting to everlasting, didn't do what we wanted him to do. Hmm. Church, we've got to grow up. We've got to realize that, that, that we were the ones who were created in God's image. And ultimately, aligning our understanding of him with scripture is a sign of spiritual maturity. So we've talked about how loss tempts us to uh, return to old uh, habits and old things and old places. And we just finished talking about how loss can magnify our misconceptions of who Jesus actually is. <clears throat> but now let's talk a little bit about the opportunity that loss presents Christ with. And when we deal with loss, right, it isn't always about avoiding negative things. But in the midst of loss, there is a great potential, a great potential for God to do something amazing. And like I said, loss presents Christ with an opportunity to do three things. First, it presents him with an opportunity to show us his love. These disciples, get this now, these disciples weren't uh, part of the main 12 disciples. They weren't the main characters in the story. We only find out the name of one of them uh, from Luke's account, yet the resurrected Christ comes to find them on the road to Emmaus. And this actually may seem like a small thing, but, but there's a lot of encouragement here. There's a lot of hope here because what it lets us know is that everyone matters to Christ. Christ isn't just checking in on the pastor and the preacher and the deacons and the elders. He's not just looking out for the, 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 the CEOs and for those that are in high positions, but Christ cares for everyone. Just think about these two disciples who thought everything was over on their way back to what they had left behind. And the newly resurrected Christ appears to them on that road. That lets me know that Christ will come meet us where we are, that Christ will get down in the dirt and the dust of whatever journey we're on to express to us his love for us and to tell us about who he is. Secondly, loss gives Christ an opportunity to show us his patience. Jesus allowed these disciples when he did encounter them to tell their story. He allowed them to express themselves to explain what they were thinking, to explain how they were feeling, what their disappointment was, even though what they were talking about was going to ultimately turn out to be uh, incorrect, to not be valid. But Jesus allowed them to give voice to their pain, to talk about what their experience had been. He allowed them to get that out because he cared for them 
And he wanted to be able to address it singularly and specifically. Loss also presents Christ with an opportunity to show us his purpose. Verse 27 says that Jesus, starting with Moses and the prophets, he walks them through the scriptures. And what Jesus is doing, and this is beautiful, he's reintroducing himself, right? He's painting an accurate picture of who he is and what it is that he came to do. The result was that their hearts, Luke tells us, were set afire. Uh, in other words, uh, hope had replaced hopelessness. Confidence had replaced fear and, and certainty had replaced doubt, all because of the truth and the illumination of God's word. It is important to point out, though, while loss gives uh, Christ an opportunity to show us his love, to uh, show us his patience and to show us his purpose, uh, none of these things would have happened for these disciples had these disciples dismissed Jesus if they had ignored him when he tried to talk with them. If they had just kept on being wholly consumed by their loss, they would have missed out on this opportunity to understand, to know, to have their hearts set on fire. This brings me to my third and final takeaway. And that is that when we move through seasons of loss, God can still be glorified, Christ can still be revealed, and we can still be blessed. Let me say that one more time. When we move through seasons of loss, God can still be glorified, Christ can still be revealed, and we can still be blessed. But this can only happen, family, if we choose to engage with Christ instead of being consumed by the loss. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not saying we act like loss didn't happen. Loss is heavy. Loss can hurt. And sometimes, right, we have to grieve through that process. We have to move through that process. Sometimes we might even need to get some help from others to move through some of the loss that we've experienced. Sometimes we have to figure out how to readjust, how to come up with contingency plans because of the loss we've experienced. I'm not saying we pretend like it never happened. And I'm not saying that we put on a, a fake smile when we're hurting. But what I am saying is, is that we can't let loss consume us. We can't let it suck up all the oxygen out of the air. We can't uh, stop praying. We can't stop reading our Bible. We, we can't stop connecting with other believers. But what we should do is lean into Christ and lean into him hard. Hold him to his invitation where he says to cast all of our cares upon him and watch him show us who he really is. Hmm. As I close out, I want to go back to uh, verse 16, because earlier in the text, in verse 16, it says that the disciples were prevented from recognizing Christ. Now, the text doesn't explain uh, why they were prevented from doing so, uh, but it does imply, right, that this was being done divinely. It wasn't just that they just didn't naturally recognize him, but it says that they couldn't recognize him. And while we can't say definitively uh, why, I think that a viable reason uh, or an explanation is, is that Jesus knew, right, that he had to deal with the disciples' understanding of who he was and with their understanding of what it is he came to do before they could really see him. 
Because if they recognized him instantly, they would have still been viewing him through their lens of their misconception. If they recognized him instantly, they would have still been thinking about an earthly redemption of Israel. They would have still been thinking about an earthly kingdom of the Messiah being set up right there and there. Jesus had to deal with those misconceptions. And I believe that this is what can happen to us as well. Anytime we experience a season of loss, Christ is literally readjusting our lens. He's helping us to uh, see that true peace and comfort can only be found in him. Not in old habits, not in old things, and not in old places. He's helping us to see him more clearly. He's removing the misconceptions and false expectations that we've placed on him. And he's moving us closer to a biblically based understanding of what it means to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Hmm. Church family, maybe you're watching this and you're realizing that uh, you've been holding on to a misconception of who Jesus Christ really is. And this misconception has caused you to throw some spiritual temper tantrums when things haven't gone your way. Or maybe these misconceptions have caused you to, up until now, reject him altogether. But now, because you're facing some kind of loss in your life, he has your attention. And what I want to offer to you is not a solution to every problem that you have, is not a get out of jail quick card, it's not a how to have a uh, blessed and, and, and trouble-free life. Hmm. But what I want to offer is a relationship with the Good Shepherd, the one who says that he can help shepherd us through the losses in our lives. The one who says that if we cast our cares upon him, that he can carry them because he cares for us. The one who says that he would stick closer to us than any friend or any brother. And if you want that relationship, you can have that through Jesus Christ. It first starts with us recognizing and acknowledging and admitting that God has a standard for our lives. And when left to my own devices, no matter how hard I try, no matter how much good I try to do, I, I just can't manage the standard. I can't live up to a perfect standard. And when we realize that God has commandments, he has uh, guidelines that he expects us to meet and that our best efforts fail short, then we're in the right place to acknowledge and to admit that we need something outside of ourselves to help us do what God has called us to do. Enter Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to solve all of our problems, but he came to solve our main problem. And that is that we were separated from God and we needed a savior to reconcile us back to him. Jesus did that on the cross. And that act on the cross over 2,000 years ago has far-reaching consequences even to today. It's not too late to accept him into your life, to admit that you need a savior, 
to allow him then to become Lord of your life, to become the shepherd over your life, to lead you and to guide you in the way that he would have you to go and to help you avoid the traps of loss. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. Let's close out with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that is in your word. We thank you, God, that you have placed your word within our reach. You have not hidden it from us, but you have required that we spend time with it. God, I pray that what has been said today would stay with us, would not leave us alone, would keep nibbling at us and and chipping away at our hearts and at our minds until we come to a decision point, until we give up our misconceptions, until we stop trying to go back to old ways and old habits, until we throw all of our cares upon you. God, navigate us through this season of loss. Navigate us through all seasons of loss as you indicated that you would in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. We pray that you were blessed by this video. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.